All right, all right, all right. Welcome, loved ones, friends, and listeners all over the world. Here we are for this May 5th, 2020 episode of Marriage and Family Clinic. On your radio, we're coming to you on WGPL, WPCE, and WBXB on your AM dial. That's here in Southern Virginia and Northern North Carolina. We're also heard on the internet at www.christianbroadcastingcompany.com. And keep this in mind also, if you would like to hear this or any other broadcast from Marriage and Family Clinic, you can find us on iTunes or any podcast player. Just search C.D. Hodges. That's it, iTunes or any podcast player. Just search C.D. Hodges and you can find Marriage and Family Clinic. Marriage and Family Clinic is here to help you break down and gain enlightenment into your relationship dynamics. We hope to help you identify what makes you tick in your relationships and ultimately help you repair, grow, or even perfect your marriage and family relationships. Well, it seems like, or we hope definitely, that things are turning around and we're getting uh, over this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, looks like businesses are opening back up and people are moving out and about. And unfortunately, governors and mayors now, uh, political leaders can't seem to agree on the course of action for the future. So we'll continue to pray. But with everything moving about and trying to get back to normal, please remember we're not out of the woods yet. We're nowhere near out of the woods. There's still a whole lot of people who are extremely sick and some are still dying. And some places numbers still may rise from the sick and the dead. So take good care of yourself. Take good care of yourself. And if I were you, I would be very, very, very careful about being around a lot of people. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not dropping my guard and behaving as if all is well and there are no concerns. Uh, that's not to say that I'm living in fear now. Far from it. I will not live in fear. I refuse to. Uh, I plan on living a long, long, long time yet. But I'm not engaging in behavior that would jeopardize my health, my joy, my freedom in Jesus. And I'm not engaging in behavior that would jeopardize the health and the joy and freedom of others either. And uh, that includes not tempting the Lord by acting unwisely in my public appearances. So all, please mask up, good hygiene, take care of yourselves, continue that social distancing. It seems to be working. Um, we're still in our series on personal finances, and this will be the third installment. And I definitely intend to bring you value in, in return for spending your valuable time with me listening to these podcasts or these broadcasts, as it were. And last week, I talked about you having a budget so that your money can quit going AWOL. And I thought that was a pretty novel way to approach the subject of a budget because budgeting can be uh, pretty boring sometimes and seems monotonous and tedious work, but it's an extremely important work. And the purpose of your budget is to help your money quit going AWOL, absent without leave. Your money should be going only where you assign it to go. And to make sure of that, you need a budget. And a budget is a great way of tracking your income and your expenses. So please remember the budget. And the last thing I want to say about the budget is, number one, Jesus even asked, who goes to build a building without first counting the cost to see if he has enough to finish it? That means a budget. And number two, 
If you won't make a budget, you're not serious about your finances. If you won't make a budget, you are not that serious about your finances and controlling your finances. A budget lets you know what you have and where it's going. So folks, make yourself a budget. Bottom line, make yourself a budget. Keep that miscellaneous and that unknown category. Keep those amounts in those two categories extremely small. You want to know where your money is going. And a good way to do it is with a budget. And tonight I want to talk about a few things that the Bible has to say about personal finances and money. Uh, again, this is a Christian-based program. And uh, if it's a Christian-based program, you ought to want to hear and you ought to expect to hear what the Bible has to say. Uh, I believe that practicing real Christian principles and uh Bible-centered Christianity, that's going to lead a person to a good grasp on the matter of money. And so I want to help you get there on, to, on today. Uh, so yet there are many in Christianity who have seemingly lost their way chasing dollars instead of chasing pureness of heart or clarity of thought or justice in the world. For some Christians, money has become the end goal and the totality of their living efforts rather than a medium of exchange in the world. Some have made wealthy equal to godly, and nothing, absolutely nothing could be further from the truth. So yes, there are a lot of people in Christianity, a lot of people in religion, a lot of people in the church who have messed up and uh, erred from the faith, as it were, where money is concerned. Uh, and I want to stress, I want to stress, regardless of what you've heard on TV, regardless of what you heard on the radio, regardless of what any spiritual or religious leader says, wealthy does not equal godly. Some of the wealthiest people in the world have been the biggest criminals in the world. So wealthy does not equal godly. Nothing could be further from the truth. Again, we need to include in there not only pursuing money. And be careful about your pursuit of money. I'm going to say something about that momentarily. But be careful about your pursuit of money. And don't forget to pursue pureness of heart, clarity of thought, justice in the world. Okay? All right. So as a result of the shenanigans of a few Many people have left and continue to leave the church because they have become disillusioned when they thought they were coming to a refuge for their souls and found out that some churches were really dens of thieves. And now seems like the church has gotten a bad rep for being too focused on money. Uh, that's happened over the last couple of decades. And granted, some of that bad rep the church has gotten has been deserved and some has not. Uh, we obviously have a few bad apples in the church, but that by no means subtracts from the importance or the viability of the church. Listen, I guarantee you one thing. The church is not going anywhere. And even if you decide to stop giving to the church, it's not going anywhere. And so I want to encourage you, do not uh, allow the behavior, the conduct, the actions of a few bad apples cast a black eye on the entire church or the church as a whole. The church is not going anywhere. It will remain. In one form or another, it will remain. 
And I say one form or another because as a result of this coronavirus pandemic, we're learning how to do things differently. We're learning how to have church differently. And I, found, I, I think we're finding out that it's more true, more real, and more important than ever that church is more than gathering in the four walls of a building. We've got to get outside of those four walls and make something happen in our communities, in our cities, our state, our country, and the world. The truth of the matter is there are bad apples anytime you get a group of humans together. There's no one group where everybody in the group or even the majority of the group is perfect in piety or virtue or morality or perfect in their fellowship and communion with God. There is no one group that has a monopoly on God. There is no one group that has a perfect knowledge of a perfect practice with God. Uh, just nowhere. It's, it, it doesn't exist. Nowhere near perfect. And this deficiency in our humanity is the reason that we need God so very badly. I'm saying to you that our humanity is so deficient that we need God more than we need the air that we breathe. All right, let, let me be careful. I'm becoming a little preachy here. Uh, so let me move on with the issue that I have to present today. Uh, again, our subject is finances, and, and here's where I want to get uh, going during this episode. Here's the bottom line of, one, of what I want to tell you. Any discussion or teaching on money or finances should include a down-to-earth, a tried-and-true, workable definition and application of wealth that works for everybody. Any discussion, any teaching, any presentation on money or finances, folks, we need a real good working definition. We need a real good working application of that word wealth. And it ought to be something that works for everybody. There should not be one definition of wealth for the wealthy and one definition of wealth for the poor and another definition for anybody in between the two. We need a working definition and application. We need to know a real good, true, down-to-earth, tried-and-true meaning of wealth. We need to break that thing down Barney-style. And so we can know what's going on there. So uh, uh, when it comes to wealth, wealth or, or wealthy, whichever one you want to use, usually refers to the accumulation of a person's money, as in cash, stocks, bonds, the like, things like that. A person's material possessions or worldly goods, possession of land, other properties, that may also be included in describing a person's wealth. And then we usually use wealth and rich or wealthy and rich interchangeably. And so uh, for, forever, forever, wealthy has referred to the accumulation of things, how much stuff a person has. That's what wealth has meant. Uh, uh, but, but I want to submit to you that if our definition and application of wealthy is restricted to the accumulation of these external tangible possessions, uh, 
If our pursuit of wealth is the pursuit of these external tangible possessions only, then we will most assuredly, we will definitely, we will undoubtedly miss out on the truest beauty and wonder of life. And we will be lonely and empty and unfulfilled in the end. Let me say that again. I want to make this abundantly clear. This is the this is the bottom line of my presentation tonight or today. If we're going to define wealth only as the accumulation of stuff, if wealth is only going to be restricted to how much stuff, how much possessions, how much money an individual has or a family has, if that's where your application, the definition of worth of wealth stops then we're going to miss out on the truest beauty, the truest wonder of life. And in the end, we're going to be lonely and empty. There's an element in our existence that requires conquering where wealth is concerned. That element is the quest for pleasure. If we fail to conquer our quest for pleasure, the pleasure of pleasure will cause us to get consumed by greed. And when we're consumed by greed, the only thing we want is more. And nowhere in our lives is that truer than our relationship with money. I'm telling you straight up, you and I are going to have to conquer the money issue in our lives. We're going to have to conquer the quest for pleasure. We're going to have to conquer the sense of greed. It will consume us. And money allows us to live out our most debased instincts. And that's what happens with greed. Our basis instinct of get more, get more, get more comes to life, rises to the surface. You got to conquer that. You got to conquer that. Money is the gateway. A money provides a gateway to pleasure. And the more money we get, seems like the wider that gateway opens. And the wider that gateway opens, the less control we have over our lives. Until finally, everything becomes about getting more money. Getting more money. And we have some folks who get so much money that it's no longer, uh, the money is not important. It's just that they want more than the next fellow down the line. And unfortunately, this is one of the most disappointing facets of our society, especially in the United States. One of the most disappointing facets of our country. I say that because I know the United States best. And let me preface this by saying, I'm getting ready to say something, but I want to preface that, what I'm getting ready to say by saying this. There is absolutely, unequivocally, incontrovertibly, unarguably, nothing wrong with money. There is absolutely nothing wrong with money. I want to make that plain. There is nothing wrong with money. Shucks, God doesn't even mind us having money having a lot of money, if we get it according to his principles, if we get it without sinning, if we get it morally, legally, and ethically, and if we use it wisely, God does not have a problem with us having money. 
There's nothing wrong with money. Well, what's the problem then? The problem or the difficulty is in our controlling our attachment to money so that we can make sure we own the money and the money does not own us. I like something that D.L. Moody said, and I want to quote D.L. Moody here. Getting riches brings care. Keeping them brings trouble. Abusing them brings guilt. And losing them brings sorrow. It is a great mistake to make so much of riches as we do. And unfortunately, that's what's happened in the church. That's why some people have become, or so many people, have become disillusioned with the church. We have made the great mistake of making much more of riches than we should have. We have made more of riches than pureness. We've made more of money than holiness. We've made more of money than true love. And as Moody says, get more money, you bring more care. And that makes room for more trouble. And when you abuse it, you end up feeling guilty. And when you get a lot of money and lose it, losing your money, bring sorrow. I tell you about a month ago, boy, the stock market took that nose dive. I, I didn't think that thing was going to stop diving there. And I tell you, my wife and I, we lost a good chunk and there was momentary sorrow. But I had to begin to rejoice in that the money was a resource, but my relationship with God is the source. So don't make the mistake of making too much of riches. Hence, 1 Timothy 6 and 10 says, For the love of money, listen closely, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Quit saying money is the root of all evil because it's not. Money is not the root of all evil. I told you already there is absolutely nothing wrong with money. People devise all kinds of evil schemes because of their attachment to money. People use money to achieve evil ends, but there is absolutely nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with money. So I want you to get that. It's people loving money that causes the problem. There's another truth I want to add on to this too. Even before... And I just want to told you, I told you in the beginning, I want to tell you some things that the Bible says about money and riches. Even before verse 10 in, in uh, 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 1 Timothy 6, even before verse 10, verse 9 gives a stern warning. People who long to be rich will fall into temptation and will be trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Hmm. What do you know about people who have set out to get rich? What do you know about people who have made getting rich their life goal? What do you know about their character? What do you know about their quality of life? The Bible declares, warns us even, that if you set out to get rich, if you're going to chase riches and wealth, you're going to fall into temptation, you're going to be trapped by foolish and harmful desires, and you're going to be plunged into ruin and destruction. 
Listen closely. When, when, when all of that is combined with the latter part of verse 10 in 1 Timothy 6, the latter part says, Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith. They've pierced themselves with many sorrows. When the whole of this chapter is combined to address the issue of money, here's what the Bible is saying. If you chase money without a true meaning of wealth working on the inside of you, if you chase money without a true meaning of wealth as your north star, you will surely get hurt and you will surely hurt others badly. You're going to get hurt badly. You're going to hurt others badly. If you don't have a good, solid, working definition of wealth, if you don't have something to look for, something to hold your feet to the ground in the midst of temptation, you're going to get hurt badly. You're going to end up hurting others badly. The key is to establish a true definition of wealth as our North Star. And I hope you get the phrase North Star. That's just when we feel lost, look to the North Star. You'll find your way. When you feel like you've lost your way, look to the North Star. You'll find your way home. You'll find your way right where you're supposed to be. When defining wealth, tangible possessions should be secondary. I want to help somebody. When you're defining wealth and riches, tangible possessions should be secondary. The primary pursuit should be quality relationships. And as always on this broadcast, the very first relationship is our relationship with God. When being right with God is the primary pursuit of our lives, then we will have the right perspective on wealth. We'll come up with the right definition of wealth. When being right with God is the most important goal in our lives, we'll be relieved of the burden of always trying to get more and always competing with trying to beat the next person. But we need the right perspective on wealth. And if you're doing as the scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added to you. When your first priority in life is to please God, to be right with God, you're going to get wealth and riches in their right place. When being right with God is the most important goal in our lives, then we will understand that whatever we have is a blessing from God. And whenever we get more, the purpose of more is to bless others. The purpose of more is not to gain, gain bragging rights. The purpose of more is to bless others. The purpose of more is to help other people get out of a hole. And if this were our collective mindset, then money would be the greatest force for good in the world. Along with love of God and loving each other, money would be the greatest force for good in the world. If all of us were thinking, I get more to be a blessing to others. So what I want to tell you tonight as far as defining wealth, as far as a working application of wealth, a working definition of wealth, the first qualifier of wealth is the quality of relationships in your life. The quality of relationships in your life. That's the first quali uh, qualifier of wealth.
Listen to what some of the richest people we've ever known said when it comes to money. Now, again, some of the richest people we've ever known. Here's what they said when it comes to money. Rockefeller. You've heard that name. Rockefeller said, I've made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Vanderbilt. The care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. Aster, I am the most miserable man on earth. J. Paul Getty, what can I say? I only know that I am desolate. Four, I was happier doing a mechanic's job. Carnegie. Millionaires seldom smile. Millionaires seldomly smile. Why did I go over all of that? Simply as I've already stated, here's some of the richest men in the world. They made more money the purpose of their lives. And when they really looked at the quality of their lives, the quality of their relationships, they were lonely, they were empty, it amounted to nothing. These men had more money than they could spend. At one point, Rockefeller had more money than the country's treasury. They got high off of getting more money. There was a rush in getting more money. They wanted to win the money game. But just like King Solomon in the Bible, they found out that it's all vanity. It's a shame to work all your life to get to what you believe is the top only to find out that there is nothing there worth having. You're lonely. No one to share it with. I ran across this fellow named George Horace Lorimer. Don't ask me who he is. I don't know who he is. Don't have a clue who he is. But this is his quote and I have to give him credit for it. I don't want to plagiarize but George said, it's good to have money and the things money can buy. It's good, too, to check up once in a while and make sure you haven't lost the things money can't buy. And I'm telling you something. Money cannot buy quality relationships. Money cannot buy quality relationships. So, Get that proper definition of wealth. The proper definition of wealth begins by qualifying your wealth, qualifying your richness by the quality of relationships in your life. And then you got to examine yourself every now and then and make sure you're doing what it takes to maintain high quality in those quality relationships in your life. Money cannot buy quality relationships. Money cannot buy a mended heart after it's been broken because of a fallout with a mother, father, sister, or brother, son, or daughter. Money can't buy that. And when people are laying on their deathbed, they always want to know, who's here with me? What are the quality of my relationships? Here's the bottom line. When you're judging your wealth, Add in the equation an assessment of the quality of relationships in your life. Whose life are you a part of? Who's a part of your life? 
Where do you stand with your family? Whose life are you making bigger and better? Whose life are you bringing value to? What problems are you solving for others? What problem are you solving for the world? What are you working on fixing that so that others around you can benefit from and profit? What has God given to you that you use to bring benefit and to bring profit to others? Folks, I'm telling you, any definition of wealth, any assessment of wealth must include an assessment of, an examination of my relationships, your relationships. What is the quality of relationships in your life? Whose life are you making bigger and better? Who, who, whose life are you bringing value to? I can't stress it enough. That's where real fulfillment is. And I told you in the beginning that if you're going to reduce your definition of wealth to the amount of stuff that you have, you're going to miss the truest beauty of life. And the truest beauty of life is quality, loving relationships with others. We can't deny it. That is the truest beauty of life. Sow your life into making the lives of others bigger and better. And God has given each and every one of us something that we're supposed to uh, uh, increase and something that we're supposed to grow and nurture and bring to fruition so that we can use that something to bring value and profit to the lives of others. Hey, look, I'm out of time for this week's broadcast. Appreciate you joining with me. Uh, I hope that you've been benefited and, and value has been brought to your life tonight, uh, today, as we've talked about the meaning of wealth. Listen, email me at cdhodges at hotmail.com. Let me know that you're listening to us. Listen to us on the radio. Uh, uh, or find us on the internet. You can find our podcast, C.D. Hodges. Search iTunes, search any podcast player. C.D. Hodges. You will find us there. I'm all out of time, but again, thanks for joining us. Until next week, we'll see you. And remember, you can't have peace without surrendering your life to the Prince of Peace. God bless you. We're out.